Good afternoon, and welcome to Citizen K, a weekly current affairs program featuring in-depth interviews and perspectives. I'm Kareem Mosna. This week on the show, well, you have until the end of May to share your thoughts on the future of policing in Kingston through the Kingston Speaks Inclusion Project. More on that to come. And the provincial election is just over a week away on Thursday, June 2nd, and a topic that has been widely discussed at both the provincial leaders' debate and at our local candidates' meeting is health care, and more specifically, working conditions for nurses. Here's an excerpt from last Tuesday's local candidates' debate at St. Lawrence College. We will hear from NDP candidate Mary Rita Holland, Conservative Gary Bennett, Green candidate Zachary Typhair, and Liberal Ted Shu. And we'll begin with Mary Rita Holland. Thanks, Bill. So this is an issue I care deeply about as well. Uh, I have a PhD from Queen's in health studies, teach health policy there. Um, and the NDP has done a lot of consultation with healthcare workers. We know for sure that the first thing that needs to happen is we need to get rid of Bill 124. That's the legislation that's capped nurses' wages. Uh, and we're seeing so many nurses leaving the profession. They're completely burnt out. When you speak to them, um, as I have at the door, it's, they're, they're overwhelmed, they haven't had a day off, and they're feeling really undervalued. So that legislation is a big part of that. Uh, we also, of course, need to increase the supply. So we need 30,000 more nurses here in the province. That's what experts have told us. And we can work towards that immediately by uh, expediting the process of recognizing the credentials of internationally trained nurses. Up, up to 15,000 uh, of those nurses are available. So we can begin that process and have those nurses start. We also need to improve the conditions in the workplace by addressing violence and mental health needs. Thank you. Mr. Bennett. Well, thank you, Bill. Our policy platform makes it clear that healthcare is one of our number one, and if not our number one, top capital priority. And we've made a commitment to invest over $40 billion in the hospitals and the hospital projects that unfortunately have sat on shelves for years. The one thing we will not do is we will not freeze the hospital budgets of every hospital in this province, which the previous Liberal government did. We're in a rebuilding phase, and we know that. We're in a rebuilding phase because the healthcare system of our province was neglected for years. And we're going to have a renewed focus on it. We've made a commitment to hire more nurses. We're going to educate more doctors. In fact, we're the first government in years that's come along and said we need to graduate more doctors. So even within the Queen's School of, of uh, Medicine, we'll be graduating 50 more doctors beginning this year. We're going to be hiring more nurses, and we're going to be working on, on programs that retain the nurses that we have. We introduced a $5,000 retention bonus for every nurse in Ontario, and we'll continue to ensure that our nurses are well compensated in this province. Thank you. Mr. Tyfair, how would your government strengthen our health care system for the future? First, we're not going to make cuts to them. Every government so far before us has made cuts to uh, health care. That's the problem. We are still rebuilding back from when the last time the NDP was in government. This is the problem. When you have majority governments, they cut. Why? So then they can fill out their pockets. So we're going to hire more nurses. We're going to make sure they pay fair wages by permanently instating the uh, pandemic pay permanently. That's how you retain nurses. We're then going to put a $5 extra an hour if they're understaffed. That is the hopes that uh, hospitals and long-term cares will uh, not only hire more nurses, but also staff them. We're going to put more investments into community, into college and university, so that we can have more people fast stream into coming nurses and qualified nurses. The problem is we made too many cuts and we're still, re we're still paying the prices. In 2018, we made cuts. 
before the pandemic. And the Ford government may want us to forget about that, but we can't because the problem is this is why COVID's been so, oh, sorry. Okay, thank you. Mr. Shu. One of, the, one of the issues in terms of matching uh, capacity in the healthcare system is a lot of equipment is idle uh, evenings and, and weekends. Uh, and so we want to hire uh, 100,000 healthcare professionals of all sorts. We want to improve the family doctor situation. I think that will be a priority for whoever is elected the member of provincial parliament here in Kingston and the islands. Uh, the role is not to solve the whole problem on your own, but it's to be part of a team and to provide the political support, to open doors, set up meetings, put pressure on the minister, keep pressure on the minister and the senior uh, civil servants uh, so that the local efforts can succeed. Um, we also want to make sure that uh, as uh, all the parties want to do, except for the Conservative Party, is repeal Bill 124 and allow uh, the pay of nurses and others to increase more than 1% a year, somewhere closer to inflation, hopefully. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, mental health supports are provided for all uh, medical professionals, because that is uh, one of the stresses that's um, hurting our system. To comment on the party's platforms and to provide more context on Bill 124, I spoke with the president of the Ontario Nursing Association and Kingstonian Catherine Hoy here on Citizen K. So Bill 124 is actually way more than freezing the wages of nurses. Nursing healthcare is a female-dominated profession, to be really clear. And they were targeted by a government that is supposed to be elected by the people for the people. But yet the male-dominated professions were not targeted under this. And actually, even if you look at Bill 106, that also was the Pay Equity Act, which is supposed to ensure that everyone is paid equally, male, female. And there was another bill that the Ford government imposed, along with Bill 124, that targets a female-dominated profession. And so what Bill 124 really is, it, it, it did give them a 1% increase over um, three years, but it took away their right to bargain fairly. And what it did was, it really was a slap in the face to all healthcare professionals, not just nurses. This bill covered all unionized healthcare professionals, but isn't it something that it did not apply for all the non-union people that work in healthcare? Now, if you're trying to save money for the province to pay down maybe provincial debt or whatever it is, why didn't you target all of them? Why did you only choose the unionized population? You know, that, that is clearly a target. Now, Ona, we have, we are involved in a charter challenge uh, that we are, it's unconstitutional. It's taken away our rights to fairly bargain, but it is targeted to a female dominated profession. And we are also going after that. Um, Bill, there, there's so many bills that impacted healthcare, also 195, that actually took away a lot of the collective agreement that is, is there to keep patients safe, to be brutally honest. So there's redeployment language in collective agreements, and it's there to ensure where the nurse works, they have the skill and ability to do that. 
So hospitals across the province have been redeploying nurses to other areas that they have never worked before. So how do you redeploy an OR nurse to a medicine unit? They don't even compare. So the nurse doesn't have the skill and ability. And how is that fair to the patients that are laying in those beds? The language is there for more than the nurse. It's there to protect the people of Ontario. Um, Bill 124, um, the fact that the Ford government will not repeal it. And the outcome from that is because nurses have felt targeted, uh, not respected, um, don't call them a hero. They've been there for the people of Ontario through all of this, and the government has turned their backs on the nurses. How, how is that right? I mean, and the other thing about Bill 124 that people don't think about is this is also spilling into other areas of employment than Bill 124, because private sectors then can say to employees, well, you know, Bill 124 is out there. Everyone else is only getting 1%. So we're only going to give you 1%. You have to really look outside of the box at how many people that this really does uh, impact. It's clear that this is having a spillover effect. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, nurses being put in departments that they might not have proper training for and, and feeling, uh, making decisions with being so understaffed. Um, now, the Liberals and the NDP in their platform uh, have talked about killing Bill 124 and putting in mental health support for nurses. Uh, any thoughts to share on that? Well, mental health support is needed for nurses. In fact, Ona has been advocating that for a long time because our benefits are so limited in mental health support. We have tabled that uh, bargaining period after bargaining period. And it just comes back that, you know, it costs money. We're not going to do that. But think about working in an environment. And, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but you don't send a firefighter in to a fire without a, a, a hose. A police officer goes to work every day with a gun or a, a taser, a taser gun. A nurse goes into work every day with a stethoscope and a pen. But yet coming through those doors is weapons. You, the general public would never believe the weapons that come in, credit card knives, machetes, um, uh, sharps, guns. We've had shootings in eMERGE departments, but yet we get a pen and a stethoscope. We can't get, um, uh, um, metal detectors at the doors of hospitals. But yet I went to the CN Tower just before COVID had um, started in Toronto and we had to go through a metal detector to go up to the CN Tower. But yet you can walk through the doors of a hospital with whatever weapon. So just think if that's day after day that you're working, you don't know who's coming through the door, what you're gonna be faced with, what does that do to your mental health? 
And then through COVID, I mean, nurses go to school and they're highly educated and they have expectations on what they're going to see. They know the reality. They are going to see death. They are going to see unpleasant circumstances, but nurses are not built to see what they've seen over the last two years, the pain, the suffering that they've had to see because of the COVID. And we can't take that away. COVID has been COVID. But if there were more staff, there may have been uh, better outcomes because there was more staff to provide care. You don't know that. But this takes a toll after you day after day. Imagine going into work and losing a 24-year-old and then losing a 30-year-old and losing a husband and a wife. And do not think that takes a mental toll, but yet we cannot get employers to support their staff by increasing mental health benefits. They'll say, oh, we have an EAP program and it's open to all staff, but that is a very limited resource. Our health benefits should have unlimited mental health I think the police actually have that and we should be no different, no different whatsoever. Now, as we look at, at the conservatives and in terms of what, what they have proposed uh, heading into this election, for instance, even our local candidate here uh, for the conservative party uh, simply talked about hiring and retaining nurses, uh, but didn't give any specifics um, <laughs> in, in terms of supports or in terms of uh raising uh, you know wages or or the or the bill or killing the bill 124 any comments on that oh yeah i've got a lot of comments on that and uh so where's he going to get these nurses where is he going to hire them from because guess what we have a nursing shortage and they've gone they've retired they they're not coming back um and if they would they'd have to repeal bill 24 and they'd have to pay them for what there's worth the graduating nurses that we have will not even cover the retirements that we have over the province never mind the 30,000 nurses that were short now so you know what to stand up in a community and say i'm going to hire more nurses and i'm going to retain them first of all where are you getting them from because there isn't any and how are you going to retain them when you are you are representing a government that passed Bill 124, passed Bill 106, passed Bill 195 that all targeted the nurses. This is not what this is about. I truly believe that they're trying to break the system and they're going to come back in and be superheroes and rebuild it with a private system. And what is a private system going to do? There's no nurses. There's no nurses. So you're going to take nurses from the public system, you're going to put them in the private system. But what people don't realize that the, the private system still gets funding from the government. So you're going to rob from the public system, you're going to give money to the private system, people will pay extra to get the services that they need. And, and the general population will have to have longer wait times to get their chemo to get their surgeries, to get into hospital forever for whatever what they they need done because they don't have private insurance and then the because we do have the working poor here in Ontario that they struggle every day you know uh, two family income at minimum wage do you think that they're going to be able to afford private health insurance even middle class income do you think they're going to be able to afford private insurance 
or, or they're going to be putting all their money into that to make sure that their families get what they need. They tried this private system out West and it didn't work and the government had to bail them out. And then what the Ford government is also saying is that, oh, we're going to give all this money to build hospitals, not knock yourself out and build the hospitals and put the beds in them. But who's going to staff them? Who is going to staff them? We cannot staff the beds that we have here in Ontario. So how are you going to open up more beds and especially ICU beds? How are you going to staff them? Because right now we're staffing those beds that should be a one-to-one. -one. That's why they're in ICU, one-to-one. -one. And we're staffing them with two, three ICU patients to one nurse, or we're staffing them with the skeleton staff one RN to four ICU patients and maybe an RPN. And RPNs are an extremely valuable to the people of Ontario, but they are to work with predictable patients. And, and our province is putting them at risk for them meeting their accountabilities to the college. And that is not fair to our RPNs. It's not fair to do that to them. I'm not sure if you do have any uh, insight in terms of what's going on in our local hospital, the Kingston General, but if you have any um, insight on that, I'd love to hear it. Yes, I do have some, to be uh, honest. Uh, they are grossly understaffed, um, like all hospitals in Ontario, from speaking to nurses who have reached out that are tired and exhausted. And I mean, throughout the whole hospital, the thing about nurses is, you know, there's a lot in the media about bill 124. And I think people sometimes think it's me, 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 it honestly is not. And we're a small community Kingston. So our community is our family. And our nurses at in the Kingston area and all the places that they work, they are frightened for their patients because the staffing is so thin, uh, but it is thin to be, to be clear across the, the whole province. And um, that is their worry. They wanna be there for, for their community and, um, and they are upset. They're very upset about uh, being sent to floors that they do not have the skill and ability to do because they can't take care of their patients. And to be honest, they're putting their license at risk. Um, the, there was an article in the Kingston Wig Standard where they said, well, the nurses will have to choose what care they have to give or prioritize it. You can't say that because the College of Nurses does not say that. When they are on duty, they are to provide all care. They are advocates for their patients, and it's almost impossible to do that. And no employer in the province of Ontario can tell the College of Nurses anything different because they set the standards. Um, we do need a government that is going to invest in a public health care system. Nobody's paycheck should dictate what health care they get and, frankly, whether they live or die. Because a waiting list when you have cancer could mean that. And as a Canadian, we've always been proud of our healthcare system, and we should never lose sight of that. Uh, the, the Green Party and our local candidate, uh, Zachary Tyfair, talked about 
uh, more investments into education to fast stream uh, nurses in, in, into the profession and also uh, hiring more and, and, and also $5 more per hour if it's an understaffed hospital. Any comments there? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I, I know there was talk about paying for tuition and books for people going into nursing. The programs are already over um, subscribed. So getting people in nursing is not an issue. I personally don't feel that's a good investment in the monies. Those monies need to be dedicated to the nurses that are already there, that are showing up to work each and every day. $5 an hour for short uh, shifting. Uh, they have done that out West. There's way more to that picture than what it would appear to be when you really dive into it. That $5 an hour is not paid out without great fights. So again, that money would be better spent on retaining nurses so you don't have the shortages at the bedside. You are listening to Citizen K on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and on podcast. I'm Kareem Mosna. Kingston Police have partnered with the Kingston Community Health Centers to survey the community on best practices for handling areas such as mental health crises, diversity within the force, and engaging with racialized populations. The Kingston Speech Inclusion Project has been running since March, while the deadline to respond has been recently extended until May 31st. I spoke with Wendy Vike, the Director of Community Health at KCHC, to learn more about the goals for this project. For those that might not know about the survey, let's talk a bit about that, about um, some of the key areas that this survey is focusing on. Uh, it's really focusing on asking people to share their thoughts and feelings and experiences with having interacted with Kingston Police. And we're trying to cast a very broad net in order to help inform the police of any change they may need to make in how they provide law enforcement services in our community. And it's really aimed at helping um, our, our Kingston residents feel safe and, um, and secure in our community. And the reality is that some people don't feel that way when it comes to interacting with police. That may be due to experiences they've had in other communities, other countries, other settings. It may be um, that they feel at times they have been perhaps racialized by police, but it also could be that people um, don't necessarily have an understanding of the role of police in our community. In some cases, many people have had experiences with police that are specific to them, and other people have had dramatically different experiences. So we're trying to cast a very broad net by engaging with as many people as possible in our community to ask them for their feedback and their opinions and their experiences. We're consolidating that data in order to help the police take a very evidence-informed approach to um, changing how they might provide law enforcement in Kingston. This can perhaps be a sensitive topic for some that might have had, uh, you know, a negative encounter uh, as well as is there some sensitivity in, in terms of this survey? Yes, and I think um, for some people there's there's actually fear 
um, around taking part in a survey like this, uh, fear of retribution, fear of negative consequences that could happen. And, and I think that's um, why the police have engaged Kingston Community Health Centres as a community-based organization that focuses on social determinants of health and helping people feel safe and well in our community. Um, the police know that we are more or less a conduit to well over 10,000 patients and clients and participants in our various programs. And um, I think we are able to provide that very safe uh, space in which people can express their opinions. And really, um, we are applying health privacy standards to that. So in our survey, we worked with Queen. We've hired a researcher who is an expert on equity, diversity, and inclusion, and indigenization accessibility. And we've um, also gone through the entire ethics approval process uh, through Queen's University to ensure that the questions we're asking um, don't cause anyone to feel any type of uh, trauma or, um, or lack of confidence in how the information will be uh, stored and gathered and, and what information might be shared with the police. So really, we'll take all of the information and use sort of aggregate data to help um, inform the police of changes they need to make. We're looking at areas of diversity, inclusivity, equity and all, and all of that. I mean, th these are obviously some, some really important areas that are now being studied in so many different fields right now. What, what was sort of the impetus to start a survey like this to do with the Kingston police? It's worth noting that the police wanted this work to happen. They also engaged Dr. Anita Jack Davies to look at um, uh, people who um, are part of the Black Caucus in Kingston who have had experiences. So they, they've taken a very um, academic approach, I think, in many ways to doing this survey. So the police wanted this work to happen. They approached KCHC, and we were more than willing to do this because we feel that it's, it's necessary and important work. And what we're hearing from people who are taking part in the survey, who, who, have, who are worried about um, the experience of some equity-seeking or equity-deserving populations are having with the, the police, and, and um, a key part of the, the messaging and the theme that we're hearing is to not wait for a tragedy to happen in our community before this work is done. So if we look at the murder of George Floyd or the horrific murder of the family in London, Ontario, uh, that this is work that we want to have happen um, so that police um, can fulfill their role of keeping our community safe. And so it is a sensitive topic for many, and um, we have spent uh, a lot of time reassuring people that their feedback is certainly um, uh, anonymized and would never be shared with anyone other than the, we will be looking at the themes and trends in the data that we collect. I would imagine areas such as racial profiling or m mental illness would also be something that would be touched on uh, in, in light of what has you know been going on in the world as well. Absolutely, and um, and I think it's important to also note the the intersection of some of those circumstances. Uh, people who are racialized also um, neurodiverse people, and and the mental health theme. I mean, it, it this the, these 
pieces apply to all of us in, in all demographics. And so helping um, the police become more informed of changes that need to be made, but also our community. I can share already that we are hearing repeatedly, as many other communities have, is that mental health supports need to be in place prior to um, law enforcement in many cases. So when someone is in crisis and, and somebody calls 911, What's the right response in our community to help people feel supported and well and safe? Thank you very much for sharing. And um, so I understand you're looking for 500 responses to this survey? Ideally, yes. We would, we, I, 500 and more. Um, I think this is a unique opportunity for people to express their views and preferences and experiences. And the more voices we hear from, the, the more meaningful the information, the rich the information becomes, and I think um, it's, it's just more evidence on the changes that need to be made. And that's all for Citizen K this week. Citizen K was produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at Queen's University. CFRC 101.9 FM broadcasts from Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. Thank you for listening. I'm Kareem Mosna.